Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams, and this is week three of our five-week series on the New Testament book of Romans. And I am so thankful for our guest today. Alan Parr has been teaching the Bible for 25 years. He's the founder of The Beat, which is an online Bible teaching ministry that you may be familiar with on YouTube. He just released a book last month called Misled, and get this subtitle, you guys, Seven Lies That Distort the Gospel and How You Can Discern the Truth. I loved this conversation with Alan about chapters 6 through 8 of Romans. There's so much good stuff in there, you all, and we're not going to get to all of it. As you know, you're going to want to dig in and read it all for yourself, but I hope this conversation encourages you in your study of Romans as much as it did me. Let's get right to it. Well, Alan Parr, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. We're so glad that you're with us. Oh, it's just my honor and privilege. I'm looking forward to uh, having a great time today, and thank you so much for having me on. Yes, well, thank you for saying yes. Something that you all listening may not know is that when a guest says yes to our invitation, it's basically like accepting a homework assignment (laughs) because you have to read Scripture and prepare, and I say have to, you know, you get to, but also schedules and such. And so it's not an easy lift. And the book of Romans, there's a lot going on here, Alan. There is. There is. This is a (laughs) theological minefield feast. Yes. I mean, there's (laughs) so much in this book that we can dig into, and we could really be studying it probably for... I've known churches that have studied it for a year or a couple of years, so we're just going to scratch the surface today. Yeah. So I recall a church that I attended, you know, probably like 10 years ago, and we did that, read, you know, studied just passage by passage in the book of Romans, and it took over a year. And it's one of those books of the Bible that it feels like a deep, deep well that we shall not reach the bottom of on this side of glory. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are spending a very short five weeks in the book of Romans. And so this is week three, where you and I are kind of just right here in the middle of the book, which is kind of a sweet spot, honestly. Like, there's a lot here, and I have a lot of question marks in the margins of my study book, but there's also just some really, really sweet truth where so kind of you're a teacher by nature that's what you and by profession right you teach the bible that's what i do <laughs> man you're our people you are our and your wife i understand she also teaches the bible so i'm excited to meet her one day yes so you are a teacher so here we are on a monday and we are opening together romans 6 and the first two words are what then And then Akia goes on, should we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. So if somebody is just stumbling into the the podcast here or into this series with us, it's kind of an abrupt place to start. So tell us kind of how we got here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're in a section of the book of Romans where essentially Paul is talking about the sanctification of the believer. And we're coming out of chapters four and five where he Mm -hmm. talked about the justification of the believer and how 
we are justified by faith, by faith, by faith. And he uses this example of Abraham and, hey, you know, if you want to be justified or made right with God, then you have to exercise faith like Abraham. So he's coming out of this and all of this conversation about grace and faith and forgiveness, you know, there's this possibility that Paul anticipates that, hey, maybe they're going to think that, hey, I can just sin as much as I want to because in chapter 5, verse 20 or so, it says, hey, well, if where sin abounds, grace did so much more abound then, hey, I can just sin as much as I want to because the more I sin, the more God's grace is on display. And Paul is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He uses the strongest uh-huh. negative in Greek, like, may it never be. No, no, no. So that's, Is that that absolutely not? Is that what that is? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Yes, meganoite in Greek. And it's just like, hey, how could you ever think something like that? How could you ever have that thought? Like, no, yeah. that's so, so anti what it's he's very, trying to say. very, very wrong. Okay. So that's really how we got into chapter six. Okay. And then in chapter six, he's really, you know, talking about this concept of sanctification, which for those who may not be familiar with that term, that's just the ongoing process by which God makes us look more like Jesus Christ in our daily mm-hmm. lives. And so he gives us some information in the first 14 verses about, hey, you need to present your bodies as slaves to righteousness. You need to consider yourself dead to sin. And so he's just talking about all these different things that we need to do to experience yeah. practical sanctification in our lives. Okay, practical sanctification. I like that phrase. I'm thinking now whether I really know what that means. So like practical, like everyday, actually like... Let me rephrase it. Maybe practicing sanctification, you know, Ooh, in our lives. Okay. Yes, yes. Practicing okay. sanctification uh, so okay. that it doesn't just become some sort of theological word but That's it actually right. becomes an actual reality in our lives that we are growing yes. and we're looking more like Christ every day. Yes. I was praying this morning as I was driving into the studio to have this conversation with you about the truth in these passages that what you just said, like they're a practical, like I can put my hands on it, truth, which, you know, the lowest hanging fruit for me is just like the war with the flesh. Like that is something that I have felt, you know, like in my body and in my, you know, whether it's like being irritable with the people that I love because I'm tired. Like that happened to me just last night. And my husband looked at me and goes, I know you're tired, (laughs) but, (laughs) and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. But so these ways that like we can kind of put our hands on, right? And then, but there are also these truths that are more conceptual and abstract, but they're still true. And so, yeah, I think that's helpful. I think one of the things that can be really, really confusing, I know at least for me, whenever I read the first Uh part of Romans chapter six, is this whole concept of consider yourself dead to sin, consider yourself dead to sin. And I mean, I remember for years reading it and thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Because I don't feel like sin is dead in my life. Like I feel like sin is alive and well. And then when I studied it out, but essentially what he's saying here is that if we're going to experience victory over sin, which Uh is really how we experience sanctification, It's a mental thing. We have to consider that we are free from the power of sin. Like we have to get that in our mind. And that's why Paul says, you need to reckon this. You need to consider this. You need to know this, that yes, you will sin, but you are no longer under sin's power. You're no longer a slave to it. Because you see what I'm saying? Because many of us, the reason why we yield to sin so much is because 
we don't believe that we can overcome it. We feel like yes. we're still under the power of it. Yeah, we think that sin has the upper hand, and so we kind of, you know, acquiesce. It's like, well, I mean, this is really hard. And, well, so the slavery language in chapter 6, starting in 15, well, I guess it actually kind of starts before that, but he really digs into it. That is so that I have the same type of questions that you have about like, okay, well, being dead to sin, what does that mean? And the like being enslaved either, it feels like he's setting up this dichotomy, right, where you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. It doesn't feel like there's any middle ground here. And what does that, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean Mm -hmm. practically, right? Right, and just in our faith, like, and that would be language that the church, the house churches in Rome, that would mean something to them, right? This slavery language. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, Paul is using language that he knows that they will be well acquainted with, with regard to, like, ownership, you know, mm-hmm. who who is it that owns you? If you are a slave in that time, you know, you are bound to obey the commandments yes. of the person that you are enslaved to. And I think what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that we have no obligation to the flesh. We don't owe sin anything anymore. We don't we don't have to be a slave to unrighteousness. Instead, present your bodies to, and this is where we get into our text. It's like, hey, present your bodies as a slave to righteousness, because we have a choice. And for many times, what we do is we present our bodies as a tool to be used for unrighteousness. In other words, I see that as we put ourselves in situations where we're like, okay, Satan, here I am. I'm presenting myself. Use me for your sinful desires. Like, And he's like coming against it. He's like, no, don't, don't present yourself to the enemy so that he can just use you as an instrument of unrighteousness. Instead, right. present your body to God and say, God, I'm here for you. I want to be a slave to you. Okay. This is really helping me like in real time understand this, Alan, because if I'm a Roman citizen and I have been convicted of a crime, there were types of slavery that were used where you would like as a civil punishment for a crime, right? Is that a thing that happened? Yeah, well, I believe so. But I also know that what was really, really common in those days was that, you know, if someone owed somebody some money, there we go. And they yes. weren't able to pay back what they owed, they would be able to pay that back with their service or their time. So if I owed you $100,000, and I don't have that in the account, right? but I can enslave myself, I can be an indentured servant to you for the next uh-huh. three years, then I'll just work it off, right? And so I yeah. am I am a slave to you because I don't have the money to pay back the debt. And I think right. that's what he's saying is that we don't owe sin anything anymore. That, there you that go. right there is something that I have never thought of because as an American, you know, in 2023, I obviously, when I hear the word slavery, I think of the history of American slavery where, you know, we well know there was nothing owed to the slave owner in that case. That's a very different circumstance of slavery. And so, but hearing about it this way, where I'm like, okay, I don't owe sin anything. That's where I start to feel that freedom language that starts resonating, where to be enslaved to righteousness is freedom. 
Exactly. From sin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I see that exact same way. It's like we have no further obligation to sin, its power, its presence in our lives. That has Mm -hmm. been taken care of because even though we still sin, we're not under the controlling, enslaving power of sin to where when sin says jump, we say how high, right? We have the Mm. power to say, no, I'm not going to jump because I am empowered by something or someone else, which is leading to chapter eight. We'll get to that a little bit later, but that's what empowers us to be practically sanctified, the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm getting fired up now. I'm excited about this. Yes. Because it's funny how like these are, I mean, these are chapters that I've read and even studied. And I still, y'all, I hope this is encouraging to you and not discouraging to those of you who are in your Bible, you know, you're somewhere in your Bible reading journey. But I still often usually struggle to understand some of these concepts. And, you know, some of that is there is a very real enemy who doesn't want us to understand. (laughs) And yet, you know, Scripture teaches that we have the Spirit of Christ. We also have the mind of Christ. And so I do find that when I tell the enemy in my soul to bug off and I'm going to dig deeper and where my, if I allow my confusion to give way to curiosity and I keep going and keep reading and digging in and have conversations like this where I can learn from fellow brothers and sisters, then it's really exciting. Yeah. That's part of sanctification. Yeah. I guess. I mean, we have to iron sharpens iron. I mean, that's what we're here for. I love studying the word of God and community. It's great. Uh, This is awesome. I can't imagine studying it any other way. I know that there are people that do and that have to, but goodness, it means so much to have people, you know, repeating back the questions that they have that I also have had, and then, you know, trusting God together and saying, okay, well, then there's more here than what I'm aware of. Okay, so you said this was leading to, I don't want to hop around too much, but I feel like we've just got to get to where is this freedom coming from? Like, we know it's Jesus, but there's a lot of legal language happening and slavery language. So help us navigate that. What has changed? Yeah, yeah. Because of the gospel. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. So this is like a perfect segue into chapter 7 because mm-hmm. Paul, several times in chapters 6 through 8, if we notice it, several times Paul kind of anticipates kind of what his audience is going to be thinking or the objections. I mean, even in chapter six, he said, hey, you know, so, you know, shall we just continue to go on sinning so that, you know, we can have more grace? And then he says, no, absolutely not. And then in verse 15, shall we sin because we're not under the law anymore and under grace? So in other words, hey, we're not under the law anymore. So does that mean that we can just do whatever we want because we're free from the law? And he says, hey, once again, no, no. And then, you know, so that now leads into chapter seven, where he's anticipating, okay, I've got some Gentile believers of the Church of Rome, and I also have some Jewish believers of the Church of Rome. Right. And so now there's all this confusion about, okay, what is my relationship as a Jewish Christian to the law? Because my whole life, I've been taught law, 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 mosaic law. And but yep. now you're talking about this grace and faith and all this. So Paul's kind of switching his focus in chapter seven, not from the believer's relationship to the sinful flesh. He's dealt with that. We're not under the power of sin anymore. But now the question is, 
what relationship do I have with the law and how does that kind of play into my life? And so that's where he's going to talk about in chapter seven about, you know, how the law is good. And he's going to talk about how the fact that we're free from that law, we're free from that, we're no longer condemned by that. Yeah. This is the section, specifically verses 7 through 13, where I wrote, confusing (laughs) in the margin. (laughs) Yes. Because, so the law is good. You just quoted this. What should we say then? Is the law, is the law sin? Absolutely not. Right. So the law is still good. But he goes on to say, but I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And so at first blush, that can be like, well, that's not good. But it doesn't mean we wouldn't have sinned. It's that we would, right? Like we just wouldn't have known (laughs) that we were sinning. So in that way, it's good. It shows us where the standard is and how we are falling short. Yeah. You know, when you think about how Paul put this together, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is an absolute masterpiece because what he's basically trying to say is he says, hey, I anticipate that now you must think that the law is, you know, the law is bad because I'm talking about grace through faith and grace through faith and forgiveness and all of that. So he's saying, no, 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 let's not get confused. The law as God gave it through Moses, is good. It is perfect, right? Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not covet. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. He's saying all those things are good. But he's basically kind of saying that a couple of things here, that the law, if we would not have known what was right or wrong, it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, now that I see that it says do not do this, Now I'm wondering, okay, well, why does he not want me to do this, right? So I might be doing a lot of things in life, but then if somebody gives me a law and says, do not speed, now I'm wondering, well, why don't they want me to speed? Let me figure out what happens if I speed, right? Or Mm. if somebody says, hey, don't go look at this particular website because this website has inappropriate material on it, before that is brought to my attention, I might not have even known about that website. But as soon as somebody right. says, don't go to this, it now triggers a curiosity. Hmm, what is it forbidden? What is off limits? Or what is right. it? Based so in that sense, Paul is basically saying the law was good. We shouldn't go look at that website. We shouldn't speed. We shouldn't text and drive, right? But it created in me a curiosity. And unfortunately, my flesh then ended up yielding to things because now I'm aware yeah. that through reading the law, I'm aware now that these things are off limits for me. And then it just got to be, you know, I'm more curious and then I yield to it. Yeah. I mean, it's Genesis 3 over and over and over again in each of our individual lives, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just, did, did God really say, you know, and then just the, yeah, no, I'm going to test it. I'm going to test the limit. I mean, we see it. That's what we do when we're children, you know, it's like, wait, you don't want me to touch this, but why? Exactly. The hot stove and type of thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's that. And it's not, you know, the stove is not bad. The stove is good. Right. But our relationship with the stove, there is a right relationship. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought about it, and so this may be a little out of kind of apart from or or not really what Paul was saying, 
but I thought about how, you know, the different uses of the law, we've talked about that when we read, you know, when we've been in the Old Testament as a community, and how one of the uses of the law is, you know, as a mirror so that we can see our sin. And I thought about it in terms of, like, medical diagnoses, you know, how it feels, you know, you can read some of these passages in Romans, and especially to our current ears, I think, you know, 21st century American ears, <laughs> Western ears, it can sound cruel, or at the very least, like intolerant, you know, of to make such bold statements that all have fallen short and sinned, you know, and we are all sinners, deserving of God's wrath. Like those, it's strong language. But I thought about, you know, in medical terms, like when the doctor delivers a diagnosis to you, it is a kindness for you to know your condition because you cannot heal. You cannot take steps to healing without knowing. And the thing is, in this case, we all have the same diagnosis, mm -hmm. you know, which is sin. We're sinners, and we all have the same prognosis. We will all die. Like, sin leads to death. But the thing is, God enters into that, and Jesus enters into that. And so not only do we get this, here's your condition, and here's the prognosis, but here is your salvation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I love the analogy that you used with regards to the law being a mirror, because yeah. I've used that many times as well when I've taught this section, because I think that's kind of what Paul's point is in chapter seven, leading into chapter eight, is that yeah. the law is good, but the law is powerless to effect change there in your go. life, because it's go. literally like a mirror. It's like a doctor yes. giving you a report on your health. So when you get that report yep. from the doctor and it's got, you've got high blood pressure, you've got, you know, your cholesterol levels are off, you know, you've got diabetes or whatever, they can hand that report to you. And now you see everything that's wrong with you, but you are yep. still now powerless to make any that's change. Right. And now you're just in a bad situation. So yeah. then now if yes. you go off, like Paul's getting ready to say in chapter seven, where you're just trying harder to fight your cholesterol levels. You're trying harder oh. to do your your high blood pressure. You're trying harder and you're fighting. Oh, that's good. Because yeah. you're like, okay, I'm trying to apply my own solution to fix my, my health issues that the doctor has prescribed for me and I keep falling short. That's right. And yeah. that's why at the end of the chapter, obviously we're skipping way ahead, but he's like, hey, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to rescue mm. me from this body of death? Because the law has just shown me all these things that I fall short, all these areas yes. where I fall short. And by trying harder to try to fix it myself, I get more frustrated. And that's obviously yes. where we see Paul in chapter seven is expressing frustration after frustration yes. after frustration. Yeah. Y'all, this is where the passage that you may have heard where Paul says like, I do not do the good that I want to do, but yes. I do the evil that I do not want to do. Like as you read it, you're going some you'll see and it does sound frustrating. Like he sounds frustrated and how many of us know that like why can't I not just get it right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the gospel, my friend. <laughs> and yeah, oh, it's so good. And I love that because it's really an encouragement for us because yeah. It's like if the Apostle Paul is humble enough to openly 
express his struggle from chapter 7, verse 14, all the way through 25. Even elsewhere in 1 Timothy, I believe he talks about he is Mm -hmm. the chief of sinners. You know, if Mm -hmm. he is open enough to express his personal internal struggle with his battle between his flesh and the spirit, how much more are we going to experience that in our lives as well? I'll add one other thing real quick is that, you know, we might look at Paul and say, wait, how could Paul express so much struggle with sin, right? But I think that what happens here, and I can say this even in my life personally, is that the more we travel along the continuum of sanctification, essentially what happens is that God begins to show you things in your life now that maybe you weren't aware of whenever you were a baby Christian. That's good. That's good. Well, you know what? I had put... (laughs) That like, okay, all of this, these chapters in Romans, like it can feel really complicated. And also, it's still the gospel, which is simple enough that a child can understand it oftentimes better than we can <laughs> as adults. And so, and I feel like that is what, you know, you're helping us here, Alan, just see like, okay, yes, this is complex, but... Maybe that's a better word, complex instead of complicated. Like (laughs) it's complex, but also there is kind of a bottom line or a top line here of this is what the gospel is, that we're, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. You know, it is by grace through faith in Jesus that we are saved. Hey y'all, Amanda here to tell you about Ned, one of our podcast sponsors. Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how to shop for vitamins. When I go looking for vitamins, I'm looking at bottles with a bunch of ingredients on them that I do not understand. When what I really want is just something to help me have more energy. I want to have the energy to come to a job that I love, to parent my kids. I want to sleep well at night so that I can get up and do it all again the next day. Did you know that 75% of American adults are deficient in magnesium? And that magnesium is essential to hundreds of functions in the body that help me do all of those things I just mentioned. Ned's Mellow Magnesium is designed for exactly this. It can help improve sleep, reduce stress, increase energy, elevate mood, strengthen immunity, boost gut microbiome. I don't know what that is, but it sounds great. And we don't even have to take their word for it. Ned shares all of its third-party lab reports right there on their website, along with over 5,000 five-star reviews. So if you want to join me in letting Ned help you become the best version of your physical self, you can get 15% off Ned products with the code TRUTH. Go to helloned.com slash truth or enter the code TRUTH at checkout. That's H E L L O. NED.com slash truth to get 15% off. Hey friends, I want to just take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about She Reads Truth and how you can take your next step on your Bible reading journey. At She Reads Truth, we believe that one of the primary ways we can know God is by reading our Bibles, by reading His Word. And so that's what we do. And we want to invite you to join us. As a community, we show up on the good days and the bad days, and we open our Bibles together and grow in intimacy with God. 
So if that sounds interesting to you, here are some ways that you can fully engage with us as women in the Word of God every day. Number one, read with us every day using our printed or digital study books or on the She Reads Truth app or website. Number two, as you read along in your study book, make sure to engage with the extras that are provided in the book and the response elements. Those are going to help you get the most out of your study and help you start to connect dots throughout scripture. Number three, keep tuning into the podcast right here each week to hear more from us and our guests as we are walking through the current reading plan with you. And number four, one of the most beautiful parts of She Reads Truth is you. It's the community. After each reading day, you can engage with a vibrant, supportive, and ever-growing online community of women through the She Reads Truth app or website. It is a wonderful way to connect with other women who are reading the same passages of Scripture that you are. So take your first step by visiting shopshereadstruth.com slash hello20, that's hello20, to sign up for our email and text updates. And once you sign up, you'll get a text and an email with a code for 20% off your next purchase. We can't wait for you to take the next step on your journey to being a woman in the Word of God every day. That's shopshereadstruth.com slash hello20. Okay, back to the show. You know, I think one of the things that I had to understand as I'm reading Romans 6, 7, and 8 is that Mm -hmm. there is a lot of repetition in these chapters. Paul is basically saying the same thing sometimes in five different ways, but he's literally saying the same (laughs) thing. Like in chapter six, he's all this language about being dead to sin. My old self is being crucified. You know, we've been baptized in Christ's death and resurrection. Uh We walk in newness of life and all this stuff. And it's basically, if we just make it real simple and sum it up, he's basically saying, you are a new person. Yes. So therefore, just as Christ died and came up from the grave as a new person, so we are identified in that death, burial, resurrection in terms of our relationship to the sin and power of sins. like So even in chapter seven, he goes on for like 11 verses and he's like, the thing that I want to do, I don't want to do. And then the thing that I don't want to do, I keep doing. But then the thing that I do want to do, I can't do. Right. But then it's like over and over, he says like the same thing, 11 verses. And it's like, I think that <laughs> understanding that he's using a lot of repetition in uh-huh, these chapters helps. is really like, let's just look at the broad, like give me one sentence. Like what is Paul trying to say? He's basically saying, I can't do what I want to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep doing. Like that's just right. keep it real simple. And yeah. we, we can all relate yeah. to that. Yes. There's also, I feel like I hadn't noticed before in reading these chapters kind of as a unit and back to back, the theme of belonging, of like that we belong to God and that in Christ, as I think that I have read Romans in the past many times, and I probably, you know, just kind of a personality type (laughs) coming out in me, but I hear, because I'm a bit of a people pleaser, and so I hear the heavy-handedness more, generally speaking, than I hear the language of freedom and belonging and salvation. And so this time as I was reading that language of like, 
that being enslaved to righteousness, it's belonging to God. And being, you know, that newness of life is a life that belongs to God and is hidden in Christ. And it was more, I'm not sure how to phrase it, but it was more tender this time as I read it. And it's the same language, to be clear. It's the same book. It's just that, you know, God's work in me is changing. And so that's how the Holy Spirit does things. It just, He just shows us what He knows, because He knows where we are, right? Yes. Spiritually and physically and circumstantially. And so I needed that word of like, here, you know, make no mistake, you belong to God, and that is a good place to be. <laughs> yes, amen, amen, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, that's a, I think that's a perfect segue into chapter 8, because, you know, at the end of chapter 7, yeah. as you mentioned, it feels heavy-handed, he feels defeated. Yeah. It feels like Paul's like, I mean, he basically says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am, who mm. will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Because as he's thinking about it, he's like, man, I want to do this. I can't do that. I don't want to do this. I keep doing that. And there's this internal struggle. And he ends chapter seven with this question or the statement, I'm wretched, but is there any hope to be delivered from this fleshly battle? Yes. And then perfectly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, yes. aha, there is a solution to your struggle with sin. Enter the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes. Like that yes. is, he is the solution. And that's why chapter eight just focuses so much on mm-hmm. setting our minds on the things of the spirit and things like that. But before we get to that, I love chapter eight, verse one. And I think yes. that this is really so critical for so many people because I wrestled so long in my Christian life with this concept of condemnation, right? Yeah. And I think we need to make sure we distinguish between condemnation and conviction. In the Christian life. Okay. Because he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think a lot of people who might be listening right now, they might be struggling with condemnation. And there's a big difference, right? Condemnation is this idea that when you sin, the enemy's telling you, you can't worship, you can't lift your hands, you can't pray, God is angry with you. You need Mm -hmm. to have like three days of buffer time because, you know, God doesn't want to hear from you. He's not going to answer your prayers. You shouldn't study your Bible because you should live in shame and just lock yourself up in a pity party. And I used to do that sometimes as a younger Christian because I felt like I was displeasing God so much that God didn't want anything to do with me. And that's that condemnation that we have to get past. Conviction is healthy. Okay, the Holy Spirit reminds you, okay, look, you got off track. This isn't good. You need to confess. You need to repent. That's healthy. But when we stay in that negative state and we mm-hmm. start identifying ourselves with our sin, ooh, yeah. that's a dangerous place. Ooh, that's, that is such a good word. I mean, it honestly brings tears to my eyes thinking of how many of us struggle with that Mm -hmm. and how all of us, I would venture to say, at points in our lives struggle with that and that, you know, the enemy can use that too to twist because isn't that what he does? Isn't that what happens in the garden? Did God really say? And so to twist something that is true, I mean, I'm thinking right now of your book, right, where you take something 
you know, from Scripture. And if you just twist it, I'm not yes. saying that's what you do. I'm saying that you're pointing that out for us right. and helping of us course. discern, right? Sure. Discern how we distort truth and distort the gospel in ways that are harmful and actually opposed to the gospel. And so that is such a word because conviction is an invitation into freedom. Yes. You know, like conviction leads us to repentance, Mm -hmm. and then repentance leads to forgiveness, which is, I mean, it's Psalm 32, you know, like when I was silent, my bones wasted away, Mm -hmm. like that our sin just crushes us. But when I confessed, you know, like then it's, that is where the freedom comes. It's like a, I think of it, hopefully rightfully, I'm not sure, but it's like a little test case of the gospel every day, every time you confess. It's like, nope, it's still true. I confess, I'm forgiven. I confess, I'm forgiven. Yeah. And it's just, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for many of us, we feel so guilty sometimes for confessing the same sin again and again, you know, and yeah. that's where it's like, yeah. well, we start to lock ourselves up in a, this pity party or we start to feel so yes. hypo- like a, such a hypocrite because... God, man, I I fell again. I fell again. You know, I didn't do this. And then that's when we start to, you know, experience that shame. But I just want to encourage anyone to just know that, look, no matter how many times you fall, get Mm -hmm. back up, confess your sin to the Lord. Thank God for the conviction. I mean, because at the end of the day, we need to thank God that you are still feeling the conviction because many Christians, as Paul says in another letter, I think it's 2 Timothy, where he talks about having our consciences seared as with a hot iron, mm. right? Where Ooh. it talks about like, there's certain things that you used to be convicted about that you're not convicted about anymore. That's an even more dangerous place to be. Right. And that's a sign that you're really backsliding. So thank God that he's convicting you the way he is, but just don't don't allow that conviction to turn into condemnation. Yeah, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then we even get the how in verse 3. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, which you so you described that so well a few minutes ago, Alan, of like, you know, this is what it's the law does. Right, as a mirror. What the law could not do, God did. Yes, I love that. I so love good, that. yeah. He condemned. I love this turn, too, of like taking that word, condemnation. There's no condemnation. For those in Christ. And then in verse three, what the law could not do, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. We're not walking that way anymore. We're not, we don't owe anything to the flesh anymore, right? To sin, but according to the spirit. So I love that, that like those of us in Christ, There's no condemnation for us. The condemnation is actually for sin, which Jesus remedied. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. You know, and I think that for some listening, you might be saying, okay, all this sounds good. This sounds good. All this theology, (laughs) all these principles, but what does this practically look like in my life, right? Like, how do I practically overcome my struggle with sin? And that's where I love where Paul really just lays it out for us in chapter eight, at least at the beginning part. And he's Mm -hmm. really talking about setting your mind. And I love all over the place. He says like, you know, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life. And so if we want to experience like 
freedom from sin and the power of sin, it's like, okay, what are you yielding your mind to? What is influencing your thought life? Because if it's the fleshly things that we're dwelling on, then we're going to be yielding ourselves. We're going to be more prone to kind of yielding to that. But if we're yeah. if we're focusing our mind on spiritual things, being in community, studying the word of God, listening to worship music, staying in prayer, like doing the disciplines, then we're going to be more, what's the word I'm looking for? More likely to experience victory over sin when we mm. yield our mind to the spiritual things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're engaging your mind in the battle instead of just allowing it to be taken wherever by whatever's put in front of me, right? Like it's so easy now, easier than ever, perhaps, to just be fully distracted. Yes. I had not noticed that. It seems so obvious now that you pointed it out, but that repetition of mind and mindset and then mindset, it would be a better, really fascinating word study to see how that works out. But yeah, and that's where something like you know, like mindfulness is a thing now. And I mean, it always has been, but like it's, but mindfulness and like how something like that, that's not a bad thing. Like, yes, I would love to be mindful. (laughs) Shouldn't we be, right? But as believers, we get to choose to set our minds and to be mindful, you know, through the lens of the gospel and mindful to who God is and what God is doing and meditate on scripture. It's, just so, it's so simple and also so foundational. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that you pointed this out, Alan, I'm seeing it in Romans 8, 12. So then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh. I knew that verse was in there somewhere. I was trying to find it earlier and that's exactly, I thought it was in chapter six, but it's actually in chapter eight. Exactly. We have no more obligation we are not under the obligation to fulfill any fleshly desires. We've spent enough time, as Paul said in Ephesians, right? He said, you've dedicated enough time in your life in the past to, you know, that past life, that old self, right? Yes. Walk in newness of life now. Yes. That really sheds new light for me on these verses 15 and 16, which I'm familiar with, but thinking about that, if we're not under obligation to the flesh, Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, because with obligation, there is a lot of fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption. There's that belonging by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Yeah, yeah. There's so much talk in this chapter about like the Spirit. And one thing that I love that Paul points out is not only has God given us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who fills us to enable us to experience sanctification, but then later on in the chapter in verse 26, he talks about how the Spirit is interceding for us. (laughs) So it's almost like we're doubly protected. Like we have this power within us who is enabling us to experience victory in our lives on a practical daily level But then outside of that, we also have the assurance that the Holy Spirit, as it says in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, how does he do that? Well, because sometimes we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself is interceding for us through wordless groans, right? Mm. He searches our hearts 
sometimes we're like, man, God, I don't even know what to say. Like, I don't even know how to express how I'm feeling right now. I don't even know how to like communicate what's going on in my world, with my mind and my emotions. But it's like the spirit's like, don't worry, I got you. I can interpret what's going on in your heart and I can communicate what you need to the father, even when you can't communicate it. And I'm like, wow, thank you. (laughs) That's exactly what I need. I love this section in chapter eight. Even just the heading in the CSB is from groans to glory. Mm. Like, yes, please. (laughs) Yes. But the way that this passage of scripture, and it's not exclusive to this passage, where, you know, acknowledging that A, our present suffering is real. I mean, to have a God who not only sees and knows and acknowledges our suffering, but put it in writing for us. You know, that our suffering is real, is huge. And, you know, two, our future glory is greater. And like, I I believe that, you know, Um, I believe that. But I really can't hear that truth without first that acknowledgement of that, like our present suffering is real. Like, you know what I mean? I love that Like to just say, yes. It's like, you know, we lost someone, our family lost someone really dear to us a handful of months ago. And... You know, the like, well, she's in a better place. Well, sure. Also, I need you to acknowledge both, you know, her suffering, our suffering. It just, you're right. Yes, it has to. I love that it goes hand in hand. That's what we need. I need it to go hand in hand. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's a great observation that you made. It's like Paul is acknowledging that we are suffering now. And and interestingly enough, he brings in this other concept of, that we're not the only one suffering. Even creation yes. has been suffering. And that's just so interesting that he's like, yeah, even creation has been suffering since by the effects of sin from the garden. And even creation is crying out like, God, when are we going to be redeemed? Like with the leaves yes. and the trees and the atmosphere and the world. And it's like, when are you going to restore us to yes. the way it was supposed to be? Which I just can't wrap my mind around that. Like when I think I about know. Like, what was the earth's atmosphere like? In the Garden mm-hmm. of Eden, you could pick stuff off the trees. Nothing was decay. Nothing was poisonous. Like everything was a perfect environment. And now everything is like decaying and rotten. Right. And it's just, wow, that's just so yeah. crazy. Oh, that's very manna-like when I think about it like that. Like we're given like fruit, you know, from the earth, harvest from the earth, but it doesn't last, you know, it lasts for a time and it mm-hmm. decays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And that we'll all, when God promises that he is redeeming and renewing all things, it is truly all things, which is incomprehensible to me. I mean, I find great comfort in it. And also, I only feel like I understand about a fraction of what that means, Yeah, you know? But even that fraction, man, I will hang on to it because it it brings such comfort. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Most definitely does. Most definitely does. And this, you know, this chapter, chapter eight, I mean, it's just like, there's this crescendo and there's this climax yes. that's leading up to this final celebration where it's almost like what we started in chapter six. Hey, right. consider yourself dead to sin. Yeah, that's cool. Nice theological concept. Yeah, we get that, Paul. <laughs> but then we have this issue with the law. Okay, what's my right. relationship with that? Am I still under that? He's like, no. But then it's like, okay, good. I'm free from the law, but now I can't obey the law because I'm struggling. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. I keep doing what I don't want to do. And then mm. he's given us the Holy Spirit. And then it's like, finally, in the end of chapter eight, 
there's this celebration of like, hey, you know what? We will not be separated from God. Yes. Like no matter, you are secure in Christ. And that's, that's just such good news. Like nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation, persecution, things in present, things in the past, or things to come. And there's this great, beautiful passage of just the security of the believer. Yeah, yeah, which is another lie that we tell ourselves or others tell us or the enemy tells us that like, nope, you're the exception. You are too far gone. Yes. And that is just not true. Would you read that for us, Alan? I just feel like I don't know that I can have the believer's triumph sitting in front of me and we not read through it. Would you be willing to read, I mean, honestly, the whole thing, if you're willing, 31 through 39? Oh, yeah. This is so beautiful. We have to. We have to. I'm reading from (laughs) the, I believe it's the NIV. What then shall we say in response to these things? Interesting. Six questions he asks. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. He who Mm -hmm. did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Returning back Mm -hmm. to the concept of condemnation. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us, returning to the concept of the Spirit interceding for us. Yes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. Through him who loved us. And here we go. For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good news. That's the gospel. Amen. Mm. That is the gospel. You're right, man. This is what a masterpiece. Thank you for the commentary there at the beginning, because he is. He's tying all of these things together. Yeah, he really is. Before he's moving on to a completely different section in chapters 9 through 11, he's kind of putting a kind of a bow and button on this beautiful present that God has given us. He's kind of tying it up. He's saying, hey, I got some more things to talk to you all about Israel and all that. We'll get to that in chapter nine, but let's just tie this up with a celebration of God's work in the life of the believer, just a beautiful promise that we can rest in. Because you mentioned earlier, a lot of people out there are questioning, you know, and obviously many people who are listening to this podcast might have different theological positions and we respect that and whatnot, but there's a lot of people who might be feeling right now that hey, you know, God doesn't love me anymore because of what Mm. I've done. And maybe I've lost my salvation and maybe I'm going to go to hell because I did this or I did that. And let's just rest and just trust in this promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen. Nothing that you can do either now or in the future, in the past, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And listen, you guys, you're going to read this week, like all of this that we have just talked about for 
the last, you know, 45 minutes, you get now to open your Bibles and your study books and dig in deeper. You get to read the full passages that we just talked through, along with the supplementary passages of Scripture that are pulled together in the reading plan. And you get to sit in this and learn from this and learn about who God is and who you are in Him. And then we'll be back here next week. And we're going to need, listen, Alan, we need that passage, that Believer's Triumph passage, as we turn the pages to chapter 9. Am oh, I right? Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave so, that chapter up to you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ooh. listen, it's not an accident, you know, that this is the way that that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to put this letter together, that he has established some really foundational truths, and then he'll keep going. And there's just some really rich theological passages, and it's just going to keep going. But listen, it's all about the gospel and Jesus. And it's such a gift that we have this to read. So thank you, my new friend, for helping us work through these passages and getting us excited. I mean, I'm pumped about reading this this week with the community And we're just really grateful. Thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you so much. It's a privilege and honor. I mean, it's just a blessing to be able to talk about the Word of God and and study it and and discuss it in a practical, relevant way Yeah, and share that with people who follow your podcast. So I'm honored that you all had me on. And my wife, once again, as I mentioned earlier, she is a a regular listener to the podcast. That's so awesome. And, uh, yeah, she Hi, sings Jennifer. her praises. Yes, yeah, sings her praises. And um, <laughs> and so just excited for what God is doing through you all and praying God's best for you all. Uh, likewise. Well, listen, friends, we will not keep you any longer, but I hope that this will not be your checked box for the week for your scripture reading, but this would be a launch pad for you as you dig into God's Word this week and come back next week. We will indeed move on to chapters 9 and beyond. Rachel will be on next week with our friend Jada Edwards. It's going to be good, you guys, so don't miss it. Until next week, Alan, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Oh, 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 oh